0: Thank you, everybody, for being here. It's uh, overwhelming to see so many familiar faces and unfamiliar faces. Can everybody hear me? I'm really just a mic tester. Um, without further ado, there's just one person I need to thank. I don't know that I see him. There he Yes. Yeah. Thank you to uh, Jonathan Sasson, who's in the back of the room. Uh, Without him, uh, we wouldn't be here in this place with such a nice room set up and everything hopefully uh, progressing calmly. And uh, and we really do appreciate you facilitating this very special evening for us. Um, I will hand over the mic, and I'm assuming you'll introduce yourself.
1: We could do that. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Good to see you. My name is Yitzhak Adlerstein, and I am an addict.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I suspect it's an addiction shared by many people in this room. I'm addicted to the beauty of Torah, to the profundity of the Torah, to the truth of Torah. Every now and then, something gets in the way a little bit. William James, a famous American philosopher, a psychologist, before he published his book Varieties of Religious Experience, went over to a schoolboy in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he asked him if he could define religion. And the boy said, sure, religion is when they try to get you to believe in things you know are not true now that hurts and it's not true of Yiddishkeit except every now and then your face your touching, that seems to be foisted on you in the name of Yiddishkeit but every bit of your gut your instinct tells you that can't really be the case and you do a reality check Is this authentic Yiddishkeit or is it not? In part, we're here to celebrate the publication of a remarkable work which all of us hope and pray is going to do wonders to help restore the addiction of people whose clarity about Yiddishkeit and about Sineas has been marred by things that just don't compute. Rabbi Manning, in his halachas se- se- section, has had the courage, the, the insight and the sensitivity to deal with topics, to handle the issues that get in the way of a lot of people accepting what's mikubal, people thinking that I'm the the only person on the face of the planet that finds this just impossible to accept. And he's put everything in a framework to separate between halacha on the one hand, public policy or institutional policy on the other hand, in the middle, das Yehudis, and make sense of the whole thing. In the meantime, validating the concerns the beliefs and the sense of people, especially women, in those 26 marvelous essays in the first part of the book, who explain why the way Tznius has been taught for a couple of generations now runs counter to their feminine sense of what Tznius is supposed to be all about. So we're going to have, hopefully, a fascinating discussion, Based on, based on the publication of this remarkable work, and where we can go from there. Um, there'll be an introdu- an introduction by Rabbi Manning. Um, we're giving him six minutes, followed by questions that are going to be directed to each of the members of our illustrious panel. Panelists will have, as well, six minutes. That was over my objection with always too much time. Um, Donna will be um, mercilessly <laughs> sitting with a clock and a cattle prod, ready to uh, take care of all people who violate And then after each initial presentation, the other two panelists, if they want, will have up to three minutes to respond. We'll go through a number of these questions and then turn it over to the audience. The way we turn it over to the audience is those little white pieces of paper at the ends of rows are index cards. If you have a question, you don't have to put your name down. Put it on the card, submit it, somebody will be collecting them and we will be handling some of them. Um, Before I introduce the panel, let me remind you, it doesn't matter whether you have a smartphone or a dumb phone. Just please turn it off. Okay. Our panel, briefly. From my left to right. Mrs. Yael Galerta attended base Yaakov's for her schooling but has worked as a Tanakh educator primarily in the modern orthodox world. She was the principal of Upanot Orot High School for Girls in Toronto. She is pure blood Chapels, Both of her parents... Being graduates, I will res- I will refrain from singing "Hail to the Chief," <laughs> despite being moved to do so every time her father Mitch Ader, is mentioned, as he's the new president of the OU, a job that requires far more skill than occupying the, the Oval Office.
2: <laughs>
1: Next, Mrs. Rifka Lerner hails from Surish sometimes known as Zurich, and now lives in RBS. She's a software developer who teaches Tila and women's halacha at Midrash at Rachel, and sundry Jewish topics at ITV in Tel Aviv. With her husband, she produces a podcast hosted by OU Torah called Nuanced Judaism. We're kind of looking for a lot of nuance this evening. That's what we're here for. And, finally, the one person who did not hand in a bio, (laughs) and will pay for it, (laughs) is a Yedid Nefesh of mine, back from the old days of Los Angeles. He was in Los Angeles well before I was, which means he survived the flesh pots of the West Coast. And nonetheless made it through Karen Yavne and the Mir to become the Russian Shiva Dean of these two marvelous institutions but beyond that he's one of the clearest thinkers in the Orthodox world today very hard to restrain him he somehow is one of very very few people in this country who managed to make aliyah and not get run over by the bulldozer of the acceptable and the system has spoken his mind throughout, which is one of the reasons why Chappelle's and Midrash at have been and remain popular institutions for people whose minds have not yet been turned into jelly. (laughs) To put everything of this evening in context course, we now turn to our illustrious author himself, Rabbi Manning, who is going to give us an
2: mm-hmm.
1: overview of the accomplishments of it.
3: Thank you, Rabbi Before I start my six minutes, I need 30 seconds just to say some thank yous. Uh, it's very important, it's uh, Aloha, so I can't avoid it. Um, not that I'd want to, I just want to start thanking Rabbi David for his kind of hospitality in the community here, for all the help he had setting up, yes, yes, yes. Uh, and of course Rabbi Karlinski and our Kenome Institutions, with which I've been a very, had a very proud association for many years now, decades, and uh, really it's very exciting to partner in this venture, and I'm very grateful to all our panellists for having taken the time um, to actually look at the book, to read the book, to read it carefully. And uh, to think positively about it sufficiently to want to sit down and discuss it with you nice people. My job here is to summarise the main themes of the book in six minutes, which is excellent. Because I will not succeed in any way, which means you'll have to buy it. Um, Because all I can do is set out the very uh, basic outline of the book. um, And I've given myself six key points. Um, these don't specifically follow the order of the book but these are the things that I think we're trying to achieve, these are challenges and solutions or these suggested solutions because I want to make it clear from the start, I didn't write this book to tell everybody what I think they should do uh, people should go to their own community leaders and their own, um, their own uh, frameworks in order to understand what is the best way to connect with the this mitzvah, but I, want to, I wanted to give people an alternative conversation or narrative for people who feel maybe frustrated uh, as Rabbi Adlerstein said, with the existing narrative. So, with that uh, caveat, let's look at f- six issues and six potential ways of approaching it in a different way. First of all, um, I don't think you need me to stand here and say there's been an over-focus on clothing, uh, with Sniut, specifically on women's clothing, on women's bodies, to the fact, to the point that quite reasonably people would ask, is it even tanur for a man to stand up and speak about Sniut at all? And the answer to that is, that question is a legitimate question, but it, it buys into the narrative, which we're trying to avoid. But the narrative which is, Sniyot is all about women's clothing. That is not what Sniyot is about. That is one aspect or angle of it. It's a much deeper mitzvah. Uh, it goes to the fundamental obligations and responsibilities of every Jew. Shulchan Aruch, when it does not refer to women, does not refer specifically to clothing. It passes it for men and women. Uh, it's much more about dignity. It's about the way we look at ourselves in the private places of our lives and extend it to the public. So, um, to say that sneid is not about clothing is not a chidush. But to say that the other angle and aspect of sneid is deeply halachic deeply structured, and has its own internal brilliance, I think that may be something of a chidush, and I should make it clear the answer. This Torah that I'm sending out in the book is the Torah of my Rebbe. It's the Torah of Rabbi Yitzchak Berkowitz, which I heard when I was in his callel 20 years ago. He's very graciously given a, giving a beautiful foreword to the book, um, and therefore you're reading his Torah, um, uh, although all the errors are obviously mine, but it's, uh, it's an inspiring limit. So the first thing is Clothing. And the avoiding of clothing as a, as a focus whilst keeping it structured and my Number two, there's an enormous over-focus on dress code and rules. And people never give the sources for this. People are presented, usually women, with a set of rules that seem to have dropped out of the sky at Sinai... And they're not given any reason why, you know, where these rules come from. They're not listed in the Shulchan Aruch in the way that normally our sources for halacha are. Uh, And therefore, what we're trying to explain to people is the framework for these rules. These rules are not necessarily incorrect, but what is the context? Where do they come from? How does this halachic structure work? We need to avoid two pitfalls. There's the pitfall on the quote-unquote right, where everything is halachified and objectified to the point that everything is just like you check... The size of your matzah, you check the length of your sleeve in the same kind of way. There is a, of course, there are halachic uh, red lines. No question about it. The book sets them out. But we need to avoid that dress code or rules focus. And on the other hand, we need to avoid, quotes and quotes on the left, a sense that there is no halachic framework to see It's just about the way you feel. It's just about values. Of course, it is about values. But there's more to it than that. And therefore, finding that sama salm'od between the dress code the culture and the very vague whatever-you-want-values culture is the way we're trying to focus on. That's number two. Number three. And this kind of is what we just touched on. There are different kinds of halakha. Some halakha is deeply objective. Rav uh, phrases really as really has been chukim. Chukim in the sense that it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, when you live. The halacha is the halacha. If you drop milk into your chicken soup... It doesn't matter whether you're the Rambam in 12th century Egypt or teaching in 21st century Bet Shemesh. The Halakha is the same. However, there are other um, areas of Halakha which are mishpatim, which are more subjective. For example, if the Rambam was coming to teach the laws of kibbud at the aim, in 2023, he'd have to do a lot more research in society. You can't just teach the same syllabus. And one of the mistakes in Tzaias is to see it as a purely objective area of Halakha which it's not. It's more of a subjective area of halakha, which doesn't mean it's totally subjective, but there's a strong element of that Yehudid, where each society is able, and not able, but obligated to define the women of that society, what reflects the dignified behavior of the women in that society. And of course, then you have to define society. What is society today? It's not any more geographic, and the book goes into uh, significant lengths on that. Course you have to define what is Hashkafa, why do people have Hashkafa anxiety, how do you define Hashkafa, etc. That's number three. Number four, there is a complete absence of men in the conversation about Sniod. Men don't even think that it relates to them at all, other than a conversation about Shmirat A9, which men are familiar with, although not don't find easy. Um, they don't think there's anything to do anything to do with them. I approached the Rosh Shiva and asked him. I'd like to speak about sneers in Yorushiba and talk about the book. He just sort of smiled and said, Do you want to talk about how my guys should dress on the beach? And I said, no, not particularly. Uh, that's, that's just a very narrow perspective of sneers, whereas in fact for men there is a deep connection with sneers based in the sources in Chazal, in the Rishonim. Again, the way the original sources are presented presents sneers to men and to women. We need to engage men in that conversation. That's number four. Number five is a more technical point, but it's very important there is a fundamental confusion in the way that Snius is taught between Sniut on the one hand and Ereve on the other hand. Ereve is an area of halacha that affects people who are looking and trying to pray, trying to daven, trying to uh, say words of Torah and the existence or the presence of people who are not fully dressed will prevent them from saying those words of Torah. That is a separate area of Halakha to Snias. Snias is treat someone as a subject inviting God into their Machaner and that's how it's presented in the Mitzvah in the Torah itself and in the Roshonim. Erevah treats someone as an object in the way that they affect other people. Framing Snias and Erevah as the same thing is a fundamental error because it objectifies people and it sets the whole conversation off on the wrong foot. And the book goes to some length to show how they're connected. Absolutely, there is an interface between them, but they are two separate concepts and need to be seen separately. And finally, the last point is that um, sneers has been used for far too long as a way to delegitimize other communities. People often define their attitude to sneers, which is, I don't know what I am, but I, I know I'm not that, and I don't want to look too dot 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 fill in the hashkafic label that you give um, and therefore the book places a lot of emphasis on the L'chavera which is also book Bukovic's Torah and trying to integrate that into the way that we think about sneers etc and um, that is a, a really fundamental point. so those six issues are areas which are uh, brought out in the book again just to summarize clothing the way we see clothing dress code versus values um, objective versus subject to men and engaging them in the conversation, sneered versus Arba, and the way we should avoid, must avoid delegitimizing other communities um, I'm very excited to hear what the panel is going to have to say and uh, really again thank you all for being here I'm going to join the audience and, uh, and if I don't like it I'll just have to keep quiet <laughs>
2: you can read the
1: book. Thank you very much Thank you very many Now it gets gets hot. Okay. We will start at the other end of the table with Mrs. Galerta, and uh, we'll pose a question. The book, Reclaiming Dignity, explodes many of the myths about Sias. You've heard a sampling of them, but they really are only a sampling. You go through, they flip the pages of it, and page after page... Age after page, there are conventional ideas that are questioned, that are put into perspective. Now, where does that all leave us, practically? We're not here to rehash the book. People should read it. But we do know that it amounts to somewhat of a global reset in the way all of us look at at these in What approaches are going to make girls today feel good about SNEAS when we know that so many don't feel very good about it. In fact, many people actually leave Yiddishkeit because of it. What how can we teach SNEAS in a way that will make girls feel good about SNEAS, that will appeal to their intellect Leave them with a healthy body image, which is one of the carbonas of teaching it the wrong way. And, if time remains, I hope it will, specifically, I hope you'll address what families should do to school-dictated policies, which they go along with and teach their girls to go along with, because you know, you have to obey the rules of the school that you're in. But what do they do when girls come home? What do they do on a family vacation? What do they do off hours? Do they enforce rules that they themselves find that they just don't resonate with them and they can't understand, but they don't want to go counter to the instructions they're getting from their moros and yeah,
2: Right. <laughs> I mean, thank you, you
0: uh, okay, Alderstein. Thank you, Rabbi Manning, for having me here. Um, this is such a special opportunity, and yet a very frightening opportunity. This is a topic, you just said, discuss educating about SNIS. That is a fraught, fraudulent, frightening topic to talk about. And I have to start with Hashem Sefasai Tiftach. I just hope he puts the words in. But I am very fortunate in that I had the opportunity to read cover to cover the SAFER. I have had students for over 20 years ask me to recommend them a SAFER on SNEAS, and I finally have one I can recommend. So I'm very, very excited about that. So I'm going to give a little bit of a disclaimer because I'm not going to say anything about educating about SNEAS or raising um, SNEAS-aware children that is going to be new to anybody in this room. I believe that Muna Shalima, that's what Hashem did when he put a neshama into each of us he gave us the opportunity and the ability to have within each of us to know how to do this to know how to serve a Kodesh Baruch Hu and to give that over to somebody else but it's nice to be reminded about the things that we already know so when it comes to educating about SNES, um, on the school side of things we need to teach about tznias I went to a base for elementary I went to base for high school I got to seminary and they announced the, course, the courses that you could take. And there was a course called Hatsna Lachas, Hilko. And they announced the following. If you went to Beis Yaakov, you are exempt from taking this course because you don't need it. And if you went to a modern orthodox high school, you are chayav, You must take this course because you need it. And when I went to register, I said, I would like to take Hatsna Alechis, please. And the registrar looked at me and said, but you went to Beisakov. And I said, and I never once saw a single source. We need to talk about it. We need to teach it. That's true about everything. We're always assuming you should know how to speak. You should know that that's Lush and Hara. You should know that that's uh, Hilkas Kashas. I was somewhere recently and a girl was ripping toilet paper on Shabbos and I looked at and I said, nobody taught her. It's not her fault. We need to talk and teach about the sources on SNES. We also need to separate in schools between dress code and zineas. I worked, fun story, a lot of you don't know me, in the Bronx Zoo one summer in high school. I don't know why, I don't like animals, but (laughs) I worked in the Bronx Zoo and we had orientation and they sat us down at orientation. Now, the Bronx Zoo in New York is not a Jewish institution, it is just a zoo. And we had an orientation and they said, listen, every day you're going to have to wear khaki pants and they looked at me and said, or skirt. And uh, a green shirt with a gorilla on it. And you can only have earrings in your ears if you are female and just a regular two piercings. And we were sitting in a circle, and there was a woman across from me who was very, very heavily pierced. And she said, what? What do you want me to do? And they said, you have a choice. You can work in the zoo keep your piercings, but this is the rule that we have here, and that is true of a school. We are allowed, in McDonald's we're allowed in the Bronx Zoo, we're allowed in a law firm, and we're allowed in a school to say that we have a dress code, this is how we want our students to come to school and present. That's not because we are imposing a certain set of halacha on you. This is our expectations from our students, and it's important that we separate those things. But it's also important that we teach through enforcing our dress code about something beyond just uh, uh, the um, element of tineas being your elbows, your neckline, your knees. I actually went through the first half of this book has articles women speaking about, and men sorry, also both, predominantly women writing about tineas, and everyone in each article defined what tineas meant. And I wrote down everybody's different definitions and this is what I, got, I came up with from everybody tenis means knowing that you're always before God being true to yourself and to Hashem privacy, self-esteem, self-respect, dignity, authenticity humility, refinement allowing the outside world to connect with our neshama imitating Hashem, developing an inner world inner self-worth, truth, confidence and an ego that is centered around doing what Hashem wants I don't know about you but I didn't hear anything on that list about my collarbone Nothing. (laughs) There has to be something in our educational world where we talk about developing those things, developing our sense of, of, of authenticity, of not needing to share everything with everybody, that we have this beautiful and deep and rich inner world that is private and therefore has that should be have, given the dignity to be not only shared and could be covered up. I worked in an amazing school. My first job ever was in a school called SKA in the Five Towns. And Ellie Sheva Komenetsky, who's now the principal, used to run these amazing um, educational days t- called Tzmias Days. And one was about privacy. And they brought in a celebrity to talk about what privacy means to her. And one was about uh, body language. And one was about um, th- who am I? Those are tsneus events. Also, we need to make sure that we're ensuring and and um, that girls walk away and boys walk away with a sense of self. Um, so, I, I have so many more things to say on this topic, but I, I just wanted to make sure that I also said that beyond what we're doing in the school, which is important, and we can talk about education in the school, if we're not teaching tsneus in our homes as parents, we can't just send our kids off to school and say, fix it, you know, teach my kid for me. I've spent enough years having parents say that to me with a very straight face. This is, we pay you to educate our child. But I have never met a student and a teacher and said, oh, I see now I understand you. But I have always met a parent and a child and said, oh, I get where this comes from, right? This makes a lot of sense. There's a tree and there's an apple. So it's really important in our own homes that we are. Modeling what the Mita and the mitzvah represents, that we are showing our children that what humility is, what authenticity is, what constant awareness of the Kaddish Barucho is. We talk to our children about, oh, we might be late, but that's what Hashem wants from us. Today there was no traffic. Thank you so much, Hashem. That is also an awareness of Tanias. We also need to educate our children and ourselves. Oh, that's so great that we have a book now. To educate ourselves, the halachos, so we know when we can say yes to our kids, even though it looks like they're pushing something, or say no to our kids because, no, really, this is a red line that we don't cross. That's also really, really important. And beyond that, and I think this is the bottom line in both the schools and at home, Tzinias is about our inner world. Tzinias is about the neshama that Hashem to each of us. And when we recognize as parents and as teachers that every single one of our children and every single one of our students is a pure soul. They are delicious and worthy of love because they exist. That's why Hashem made them. They have a a, something that they need to do. They have a a, something they need to accomplish in this world that nobody in the history of the world will ever accomplish before them. Nobody in the history of the world will ever accomplish after them. Hashem needs them there and we know he trusts them to do it because we say it every morning. Rabbi, you believe in me. So we need to start to develop in our relationships with our students and with our children, that we believe in you too, and help them see for themselves that they are creative and compassionate and kind and capable. I did this uh, with my kids just this week. I said to them, describe yourself to me in three adjectives. What are your... So I said, describe yourself. And they said, positives? I said, yeah. Give me your cocos. And they paused for a second, and I said, if it takes you longer than one minute, I haven't done a good job. You wanted me to talk about. Um, do I have time to talk about? No, good. That's
1: it. <laughs> wow. I'm ready to sign up.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: do we have any uh, responses from any other members of the panel? Okay. We'll move on to the next question. Okay, Mrs. Lerner, this one's for you. The book establishes a number of important principles. One is that, as what? Not everything that is preached in the name of Snias actually has anything to do with Snias. Number two, that things that are really not... Required by Halakha are still required by halacha. The things that are not part of the objective rules of sias are bonding upon people through das Yehudas. Okay? Now the latter, though, is by nature amorphous, hard to put your finger on hard to define, maybe impossible to define. And the book says that it depends on which major group or hashkafa you align yourself with. Now that, I think, is both exhilarating and challenging. It's exhilarating because it clears up a lot of misconceptions. But where does that leave parents... Or really adults. Bottom line, how should I behave? How should I dress? What standard or program do I sign up for? What do you do when you live, as more than 99% of us do, in a place that does not have a minig Does not have a minig because the neighborhood consists of many, many different groups in Ashrafos all living within the same geographical locale. So by definition, halachically there really is no minigamakar. So what do you do? How do you practically find your place or decide what is really binding? A second question which I'm not going to let you get away without answering. One of those things that is hard, if not impossible to define, is the amount of discreteness that we can, should, must bring to discussions of intimate behavior. But experts tell us that from women, from girls, are far more vulnerable to sexual predators (laughs) Because sexuality is simply not discussed in the from community, that children, boys and girls, are more vulnerable to pedophiles because names of anatomical parts are taboo, never discussed, and not part of the part of the vocabulary of those children. That. Issues of sexuality are so shunted to the side that in many cases it wreaks havoc in fresh marriages. Is there an acceptable way of talking about sexuality to from girls?
2: Yeah, no problem.
1: Okay, we move on to the next question
2: (laughs) Um, I'd like to start once again with a big thank you for this opportunity Um, SNES is a very contentious, I would say potent topic And I feel humbled to be allowed to give my two cents, give my uh, suggestions On a topic that I feel has such unbelievable power underlying often a lot of frustration I mean, doesn't it make sense? We wouldn't be, eh, about something we are, we, it means a lot to us because it's very potent. However, before I start, I'd like to make a few splits here. When students come to me, I mentor students, I'm a life coach. When you come with different um, feelings, like I'm anxious, I'm sad, a lot of times what people need is a listening ear and empathy. But there's one emotion that you don't like that. It's called overwhelm. Someone says, oh my gosh, I can't handle my life. Everything's just too much. You're not, you're not like, oh, no, everything's really too much for you now. Where is it too much? Let's split it. Is your family life okay? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Is your health okay? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Oh, next year is bugging you out. Okay, I get it. You split it up because then it's not my life is driving me crazy. I'm having anxiety about next year. So I'd like to do something similar here. Because oftentimes when I think I have an issue with sinus, do you really? Let's try to split it up. Where is the pain? Where is the issue? Because like Yael so beautifully said, the fundamental, deep aspect of Micha, that and Hashem Walk innerly with God. You and Hashem have that relationship. Know what that tastes like. Know what that feels like. When nobody's there, but He's there. And then, there's the, the nitty gritty that we live with day to day mostly known as das Yehudis, By the way, that's not Da'as Yehudas. I will honestly say I thought it was the knowledge of Judith. I didn't know who this Judith was. <laughs> it's not. Dat is like Datilumi, religion. Yehudit is simply the feminine of Yehuda, Yehudim. It just means Jewish religion. It's the meat of what we hold day to day. It's what Jewish women have taken upon themselves throughout the generation to dress in certain ways that sets us apart in a beautiful way. And it has specific diameters what will be accepted. This generation has to be God-fearing, has to be halachic. They can't go overboard, they have to have a And then, in a certain community, a certain dress code will become accepted. And that can change. For example, um, driving for women in certain areas wasn't always acceptable, and now it is. And it, that's, that's an organic thing that happens. And in a way, that's beautiful. Because you can slowly bring change while still staying faithful to your community. So when you're saying that Snias hurts, do you really mean Snias hurts? Or do you mean you're finding the that das of your area difficult? Which, for a lot of us who've made Aliyah and come from places which are comfortable for, for us, and we come to a place with expectations that don't sit right, that's very understandable. I, I've said this so many times after reading this book. There's no other mitzvah I can think of that cuts this deep to a woman, I'm speaking specifically for women, and is that externally visible and judgeable. Take candles, for example. Have kavanah, don't have kavanah, just light the candles. Everybody sees it, you did it, finished. You can have kavanah if you decide to. You don't have to. Hespodidas, um, or Cavanna and Davine, people don't see it, and it goes very deep. Sneas, somehow, it's something that goes very deep, but everybody can see it, and that's where this tension arises. Everybody's judging you for something very deep, but very externally. So what do you do? Ideally, you find a community that you believe in their values, their deeper values. And you make a judgment call. Does the church code, is it worth it for me? Does it work for me? If it really doesn't work for you, I would very much suggest read the book and learn the sources. Why doesn't it work for me? Maybe there's what to grow. Maybe if there's some solid sources, maybe there's what to grow. People change. If there's no solid sources, then there's a decision to make. That's the first part of your question. The second part, how many, how much one do Good? Great. Because this is a very important topic. Uh, One that I do not necessarily feel big enough to give an opinion on, but here I am. Speaking about sexuality with each other, with our children. Once again, extremely potent. One of the most potent topics. And yet, very, very delicate. You don't want to cheapen such a topic by speaking about it in public forum where people could make light of it. You take a cork out of a perfume bottle and the perfume is not going to smell for much longer. So you want to keep it precious. At the same time, you need to share healthy information, first of all, to children. I'm a big advocate for parents getting educated on how to speak to their children about sexuality. There are webinars, there are books for, from parents to teach their children the appropriate words in a tsunua way. It's not a, uh, a contradiction. You can do it extremely Sanua. But then there's also before getting married. I'm a college teacher personally. And usually the halachas Take, you know, one half, and the hashkafa, or the how-to, or the... The investment in the rest of your life, with intimacy, takes the other half. And, unfortunately, there is a huge dearth of chasam teachers out there. Over and over again, my callers come back, and sometimes they talk to each other about the classes, and sometimes they don't, depends on, you know, who I'm talking to, but oftentimes they'll tell me that the chastin does not have any guidance. Or the guidance they have, I've I've heard horror stories, and I'm not joking. So if any of you know somebody, or if any of you feel the calling of becoming a chastin teacher, um, I greatly, greatly encourage it, because it's very needed. But in general, we need to find a balance of speaking about these very powerful, powerful tools and powerful um, concepts that we contain, in a modest, humble, and spiritual way.
1: Any of our panelists have anything to
0: add? Can
4: I add one thing? Maybe add what you didn't get You, didn't get <laughs> so you, you got three minutes to pack on oh, what you missed last time sure, from sure, your own sure. presentation. I guess. Sure. I'll also cede you my three minutes. <laughs>
2: no, no.
0: no. I just wanted to add one line because you spoke so beautifully. Um, I'm also a college teacher and I, I the line that I love to use and I think it fits in exactly with what you said, there's a very giant chasm between inappropriate and private and I think that's also true for getting sexuality in the world of science. Coming back to our concern about science and body image, and we very often misuse the word inappropriate. Nobody's body is inappropriate. It's private. Those are two different words. And I think it's so important that we're raising our children from the get-go with this word of, and this understanding, that Hashem made you with a beautiful body. And look how it works. And it's amazing. I do this with my one and two and three. It to be really little for this, but it's part of bath time. Not every night, it's ridiculous, but, you know, I come out of the bath and we go in front of the mirror and say, look, this is beautiful. Look what I should mean And we'll, we'll point out where, do you think the stomach is in the spleen? I don't know what the spleen does, but we talk about it, right? And it's amazing, Have whatever. And it's beautiful. And because it's beautiful, it's not inappropriate, but it is private. I think that's a very important distinction to make in the entire and what, at whatever age I gave you my two-year-old version, but at whatever age with our children and as they mature to understand that sexuality, a discussion of intimacy and in anything about our body, it comes with dignity and therefore it's private, but nothing about it is inappropriate. I
2: would just add the word inappropriate means that there is an area where it's appropriate. That's what inappropriate means. It means. Now you're not appropriate. Okay, that means there's a time.
4: There's a time a- I am just going to have one word. Um, when you talk about private, I think one of the sources for the problems that we have today in confronting sneers is that nothing is private anymore. And if you pull the clock back 50, 60 years... People behaved inappropriately, but they kept it private. And today, nothing is private. Everything is out there. And that could be one of the reasons why there's almost a backlash. And if we want to examine some of the uh, sociological and maybe even religious sources for the extreme emphasis, the Chumrah, the the much more uh, um, strict adherence to Tznias, it's probably a reaction because every... Time you go off in one direction, we try to pull back in the opposite direction. so I think a lack of privacy in the in the world at large might explain the reaction and if we want to get back to a rooted authenticity it's the emphasis on things being private you don't have to publicize. Everything on Facebook within the next five minutes. I know I'm dating myself because Facebook is already bl- blase. I think it's already on Twitter. I don't know, but the idea is we have to get back to a sense of privacy.
1: We're going to have to talk about
2: Facebook
1: yeah. and Twitter. Rabbi <laughs> you are the Hashkafic guru here. We've heard some marvelous, marvelous really inspiring presentations focusing bottom line on how we should act practically and let's get back to Hashkafa, to the theoretical behind it let's talk about extremism what you just decried how do we prevent people from being vulnerable to the argument that more is better how do we get them to insulate themselves against that idea without feeling alienated from the communities that they live in? Life is complicated. It's always been complicated. It's gotten a lot more complicated in the modern era. And that means that we have more choices to make about our lives today than people have before were things that just weren't within the reach of people so you didn't have to make decisions today we do which is why you have this movement to kind of standardize attitudes to things like women jogging inappropriate dress wearing leggings under a skirt wearing nail polish wearing denim having pockets in one's skirt wearing one's hair out of a pony I spoke to two people last week. One, a world-class Fosak. In the world we live in, you don't quote world-class Fosak by name because you don't want their windows to be broken. And the other, one of the brightest, maybe the brightest woman I know, Rebetz and Dr. Judy Blythe. Both said almost exactly the same thing. Tznius in women's behavior and dress is the providence of women, not the providence of men. It cannot be standardized. It should not even be spoken of so much, more that it should be modeled, modeled in character and personality. From what I hear, Dr. Blythe was probably the closest friend that Mahavda ben Chaim that Reverend David, the Colonel of Racha had. And Dr. Black said that her friend did not speak so much about sneers in clothing and dress at PJJ. She did speak about the kind of sneers we've been talking about in the last, in the last half hour. It shouldn't be spoken of so much better to follow the example of women in the community who you know to be in possession of the meat of its needs. How do we square these opposite programs? The clear direction of the community to standardize more and more and more at the expense of what really should not be standard at all. And not spoken up in that way it's all yours Litz. Really.
0: well the
4: first thing you said is that men shouldn't be talking about it so maybe I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm uh so I will focus more on the first part of what you asked um, we'll start with the idea that more is better um, humra so this is a much bigger hashkafic issue that doesn't only relate to tznias but it's certainly for this audience and this topic it's uh, relevant um I got really ex- um, upset and I actually wrote an article about it in the early years of uh, email exchanges before there, was the web and, uh, before there was a web and before there were chats. There was an email list and the discussion of humor came up and how do you explain to your kids why we're machmir in this, we're, we're more machmir here even though the neighbors aren't. And one of the people on the list, a woman said, well, we tell our children that if we do this, God will love us better. Okay, so that sent me through the roof. <laughs> um, sources. So, the Maharal in the Mishnah of Asu Siag Torah. That's basically humors we got to build fences. It says the Maharal, that comes from Midas HaChesed. The default, the conventional wisdom is it's Yira. I am afraid that if I don't do the most strict... I might mess up, and I will fry in the frying pan in the sky. So the morale says that's not correct. It's not Yira, it's Ava. It comes from me that's Ava because I want to do more. And if you have a loving relationship with your spouse, you don't want to just check the boxes. You always want to do more than is demanded. So it has to emanate from an Ava of Hashem, not because I'm afraid of what God will do, and certainly not I'm afraid what the community is going to do. you are going to say, but it has to be authentic, and that's one of the reasons why humors have to be on a on a steady, even level. Right? a person who is very super machmir in triple block kosher, but they cheat in business. Well, that's exactly the Yetzir Hara, because it gives you the justification for being lenient in one area because I am so machmir in another area. So that's not because of the love of Hashem. That's not out of Ava. So there has to be a consistency in your religious behavior. So that that's, again, debunking the idea that more is better. More is not always better. Um, there's another aspect of, of more is better, Chumra. And it's not, enough, it's not paid attention to enough. And I, I pulled out a couple of sources. There is a concept in the Gemara called that you're not allowed to do something because it's prohibited. Mishum Yorara. Yorara means arrogance. The examples, I'll give a couple of quick examples in the Gemara. One of them is that a person was walking in, in the streets barefoot because uh, and they asked him, why are you walking barefoot? I'm mourning for Jerusalem. And the language was, "Are you at the level to properly mourn for Jerusalem?" And they right away took him off the stage. You have to be at a level, right? And the Gemara also talks about um, not to do that uh, malacha malacha is, per, is permitted on Tishav, but a Talmud Chacham should not do malacha on Tishav. And then there's a discussion whether everybody can behave like a Talmud Chacham. But one of the discussions is that no, if you're not a Talmud Chacham, don't pretend that you are, because it's motivated by arrogance. And too much of what we do is motivated by the desire to have validation from the community. And if I need to to connect this to Tznias, and it was what Mrs. Lerner was alluding to, Ravolbi talks so much about the need for every Jew to build their inner world. And building an inner world means that I don't need to attract attention for validation. And so much of what we do is to attract attention, and that's where sneas becomes a problem, is that women sometimes, what I've seen and what I understand, is they need to attract attention. And sneas means I'm dressing in a way that I don't need to attract attention because I have self-awareness, I have um, uh, self-esteem, and somebody with real self-esteem does not need to attract attention. Let me just get to the other point of how do I deal with a community where the standards are way beyond uh, or different. Again, this you know more is better, boomer, etc. Um, I think it's important. It's a really tough thing. But you have to choose a community that's appropriate. Um, on the one hand, you can't live in a community. You can't decide, you know what, I'm going to live in Matresdorf and I'm going to walk around without. I'm going to walk around without tights and stockings. That's the standard of the community. There are communal standards. I'm sure that if you read the book carefully, you will see that that's. It it, it almost becomes minag, becomes halacha, and you can't violate community standards if you're living in a community. You may not want to live in that community. If the community standards, and again, I'm not expressing an opinion here about I don't know uh, uh, denim skirts or or jogging. But you know what, if that's the community standard, not, not, the, not the standard of a few extreme people that are trying to impose their, their limited will on the, on the masses, which is what happens, because usually it's always the most extremists, the extremists that get to, to set the tone. But if that's the community standard, you have to find a different community. You can't expect to live in a community and flaunt the community standards, and it will be very destructive for your children's education for you to do that. One last thing. Ezehi Derech Yeshara Shayavar Loha Adam. Um, First mission in the second parak of, um, of Pirkei Ovos. I uh, apologize to all the Midrash HaKel women who are here because I just taught it to them this morning. But the, the what's a Derech Yeshara? The second half of the mission starts talking about It Says the Maral, a Derech Yeshara is your Midos. A Derech Yeshara is a Amida, and snias is Amida. And it has to be, right. It has to be appropriate for you. You have to feel what I'm doing is right, but you also need to conform and do it in a way that the observer also thinks it's correct. And here's where we get, to, again, back to the idea of Yorah. If you're doing something to brag, to make yourself noticeable, um... Right, where where you're doing it more chumradik? Are you at a level to justify that? Do you really are you really at that level across the board, or is this arrogance? I.e., you're doing it because you want to show off. And hatsneya leches emailo kecha. We talk about the mitzvah tzeias. I had a little bit of a discussion also this morning. There's no mitzvah tzeias. In the sense of mitzvah, right? that oh, if you wear your skirt down to here in your school like this, you're doing the mitzvah. tznius. No, if you violate it, it's a violation. There's many things, right? That if you, you that, that the, the mitzvah is to refrain from doing something wrong. But the midah, the positive hatznea alechah. There has to be an inner sense, and this is what the women spoke about in the book. is The essays are are are, are chock full of the idea of a Hatznea net leches is is a midah. And and it's about your personality, it's about the way you carry yourself, it's about how you live your inner life, your private life, and you don't need anybody to validate you from the outside. And I think that on a hashkafag level, you've got to really dig in and not allow yourself to be manipulated by forces outside that are not necessarily positive.
2: Thank you. Just to add something. Um, isn't it amazing how in the 21st century, where Western culture is so fast, external, easy wins. as more, The more I can post about what I did, the more I actually experienced it, quote-unquote. If I didn't take a picture, it didn't happen. Isn't it fascinating that the more that's on the rise, the more angst we experience with tzniyans? Maybe... Like Rabbi Kohenzki said, we're focusing on Tznius too much in a Western way. Maybe we need to look at it more from an Ashkenazi way.
1: All right, Kohenzki, I'm going to uh, use the power vested in me to ask a question. Really, uh, two questions. One is. We spoke of the picking the community or responding to the community that you live in, maybe making a choice about the community that you live in. But a lot of us don't live in a single community. Even if we would want to, if we have children, spouses whose needs have to be met, we sometimes have to go to institutions outside of that Hashkaphic community. And we wind up living in multiple ones at the same time. So what do you do then? You compartmentalize your brain. Uh, Monday, I think I'm going to be mad And on Tuesday, I'm going to be a frat. And then, like, what, is, what does that produce in the modern person? Two, in making the choice about community. So you may be comfortable with the standards or find them livable or find them inspiring. But nobody asked your daughter, what happens when it's just not working for her? The first part was a lot
4: easier to answer than the second part. Um, To thine own self be true. You can't live one day this, one day that. You have to have your anchor. And you chose to live in a community. uh, I mean, we, we, we have a melting pot. Um, the the uh, most of our communities are melting pots, and therefore, it's all it's always the you know the the squeaky wheel makes the most noise. It's the extremists, and you've got to just you can and you should t- tune that out. And again, try to find a community that is appropriate for you as much as you can. Um, I think, and maybe Yaël, I'll turn this over. This I'll, I'll really pass this to Yaël from me. Um, if the community you choose to live in is not appropriate for your daughter, I think that something happened along the way um, much earlier than whenever that's coming to the fore. But maybe, I'll, you want to say something about that? I want to say something
2: about that. Sure. <laughs> how, did I, how did I know?
0: <laughs> felt it. There's an energy. <laughs> um, we all know, because we're all living this experience, nothing is perfect outside of a coach circle. <laughs> There's no school that's exactly us, and there's no community that's exactly us. And just like when we are in Chidduk we have to sit there and go, what are the values that I value most? We have to do that when we're choosing a community and when we're choosing a school for our children. What are the values that I value most? And what, can I, what do I know in myself that I can supplement in my children and in my home? I was thinking about there's a medrash that talks about that the Ne'el had four uh, merits, four suyot that allowed them to leave Mitzrayim, they got them geula. And there's a lot of different versions of this medrash, but the Major says that they didn't change their names, they didn't change their uh, language, they didn't change the way that they dressed, and they didn't speak lashon hara. And I looked at those last two and I said, like, how interesting is that? That they both were maf'od but They didn't talk about everybody else. They didn't put things down, right? Just today, I went into a store. The floor happened today. I was so excited about it. I have to share the story because it was such a perfect... I walked into the store with my 5-year-old daughter, and I just... I have a a family wedding coming up, and I wanted to see if they just had anything. I didn't want to buy anything. I just wanted to look what they had. And she said, Are you going to try anything on? And I said, No, it's not Lagba Omer yet. We don't buy things until it's Lagba Omer. And we're passing the dressing room, and she looked she saw there was a woman coming in or going out and she said oh that woman's trying on clothes it's before Lagba Omer Uh and she's like isn't it cool how so many different people have so many different men hug him Mm -hmm. and I was like your father raised you." Uh, right, right, it was amazing uh, I got so excited, right We have to, when we are choosing a community Know that we chose that it for its values And so sometimes, just like a person Will annoy us, our school will annoy us Or our neighbors might annoy us and we have to go back to and hark to those values That we chose that thing, or that school Or that environment for Okay, so in this moment I didn't like this statement that they made I didn't like how they treated that with this It actually just happened recently um, my daughter came home from school, an older daughter, and there were, She came home. She can't believe it. Five girls in my class were suspended. Oh my goodness, suspended. What did they do? She told me what they did, and it was a very minor infraction. And every part of me wanted to say, "You got to kill me. suspend the a girl. Don't they understand? They're destroying the shot." I, right, that as my inner dialogue said that, and I said, "Oh, that sounds really, really tough." Did the girls know that that was a violation of the school rule? She said, actually, the teacher yesterday got up and announced we are enforcing said rule. Please make sure you show up tomorrow and you don't violate said rule. I said, ooh. So they knew that they were going to get in trouble and they did it anyway. She said, yeah. And I said, oh, that must have been a really tough choice for them. But they chose to get in trouble. Right? right. We have to make sure that even though there's a part of us and the inside of us that says, oh, I don't like that, and how could they say that, and that doesn't make sense to me, to have enough self-esteem and security in our own sense of what we know and the halacha to be able to say, okay, maybe I don't agree with this particular thing, but let's find a kapskos, let's find a way to look at this from a positive perspective um, and be able to give it over in a positive way. We don't change our clothes, we don't change our values, but we also don't speak Lashon Hara about other people. The number one question I get asked, I teach in seminaries now for six years, number one question, you are not going to guess this, when I start dating, should I wear stockings? Number one question I get asked. <laughs> and I always say, it's amazing how you are somebody who is so much a moon and a Kaddish but during the tekuva of Hashem doesn't exist, right? If you want to wear stockings because you've seen the sources, it makes sense. It aligns with your values in the community you want to live in, beautiful. But if you don't think that Hashem has a zivet for you, He has a match for you, and you can trick people and the Kaddish Baruch into getting what you want, it doesn't make sense. There has to be a consistency. There has to be a uh, honesty and authenticity even when we're dealing with a difficult community, that a part or a value or a something that's being expressed by a community that is a little bit inconsistent with who we are, we'll find a way to communicate that in a healthy, wholesome, positive way with our kids. And if you have a daughter that doesn't like the community that you chose for your daughter, I think that's a case-by-case conversation, um, but part of, I think Robert Jones said say, when you get to that point, you're already too late. Um, part of that raising a child to get to that space is, understanding that right, my sister-in-law has a great line. She always says to her kids, you're you're doing nine so perfectly. You're doing 13 so perfectly. You're doing 15 so perfectly. Kids have boundaries. Kids struggle. We all struggle. And maybe we can connect with our children and say, ooh, that's really tough. Let's talk this out. Why is that? What do you say about being overwhelmed? Let's parcel it down, right? <laughs> Let's get into these pieces and try to understand. Maybe that means that they might have to go to a different school. And we can be a little less insecure as parents, know that our kids are not... They're going to ruin our image in the community. There are also neshamah who deserve their own choices.
2: We have to
1: listen. We have some really, really great questions here. Enough to uh, probably occupy us with another five panels. I'm not sure that uh, either the clock or Donna is going to allow us to do that. So I'm just going to keep on asking the questions. Until, until um, the Vaudeville cane comes and pulls us off the stage. (laughs) Here's the first one. I'm going to read it. It seems to me a paradox that we are taught to judge favorably, yet when it comes to tsniut, we tend to judge very quickly and easily based on how someone is dressed. How does one be tsniut? While judging others favorably, let me add a little to that. One of the real triumphs of the book is a whole section on the balance that you need in choosing standards, with the mitzvahs of vaynag v'makavir. As Misilat Yesharim says, paraphrasing him: Every time you you pick a chumrah, there's a counter force. You're losing something in the process. And if you do that before you're really ready for it, you're not doing yourself or anybody else a favour. Many of the standards that we want to uphold come not only at a price of judgmentalism, but of creating really real rifts between people, of being Mavayish them, of making of questioning their worth of causing divisions between people. And Rabbi Matti gets a real yashakaya for devoting significant space to that. But what say you, learned ladies and gentlemen of the panel, about how we achieve consciousness of Bein adam in making the decisions about standards?
2: I'm going to answer the question fully, but it might give us a start. One of the things that we can do with the, like you said, the conversations in our mind is to use and instead of but. What do I mean? Let's say you have a friend. And let's say she's not doing things that you would do. She's not dressing the way that you would do. And let's just say that you feel really comfortable with how you are dressing or what you're doing and maybe you've even done your research. That's a easy access to judgmentalism. She's a friend, but Julie really needs to work on that. Julie really works needs to work on that. If you just do one thing, just change it to and you're able to hold like the one who wrote this. That you're able to hold the paradox. This is a really good friend of mine, and she might need I don't think that this, whatever. If you use and, you're leaving room for the person to still be human. And guess what? We all are human. We are all growing people. So just to start with and, (laughs) I would say it's maybe a good place to start. Okay.
1: Next question. How can we help heal the religious trauma of teens, young women, who have had many years of negative you khinav know, about sinas. How do we repair the damage? I okay. can't.
0: Oh, it's mine.
4: <laughs> You can't. You took the words right out of my mouth. You <laughs> can't. You can,
0: you can. Um, I think that it's really important if you meet somebody and they are experiencing trauma because they've been given so many incorrect messages to start giving them correct messages. And that starts not from let's talk about Zinia with you. I had a student come up to me in the hallway just walking to work and she said, Mrs. G, I don't believe in Hashem. Good morning. (laughs) And I said, you don't believe in Hashem because you have theological, philosophical issues with God and religion, or because your life is feeling so overwhelming and tough, and Hashem is an additional, and his mitzvos are an additional burden for you that you don't want to have to deal with. She's like, that one. (laughs) Okay, good. Now we have a place where we can start, right? And maybe, maybe the way in which we're conceptualizing and thinking about our uh, service of Akkadosh Barakul is because we have been given wrong messaging. And then we have to rebrand and repackage the messaging that we got. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Yeah. um, I can't think of a good example. But, like, you know, we get uh, very often, like, um, I think about this all the time, in, the, in this following context. I'll get really upset. I'm a very passionate, emotional person. I don't know if you can tell. But I, I'll i get, I'll, you know, I'll learn something, or I'll see something new about halakh that I didn't know before. And my first reaction is to get angry, right? I discovered I can't put salt on my cucumbers on Shabbos. And I didn't say, huh. I said, what? <laughs> and I got so mad. Why can I not? But, right, and I, and I have this rule. And the rule is, I am not, um, first of all, I need to calm down. But second of all, <laughs> I am not dumb enough to think that I am smarter than Baruch Hu, that I am smarter than Chazal or that I am smarter than Halacha. And if it's making me feel emotional, then there's something that I don't understand and something I don't know. So guess what? There's a lot of ways you can solve your cucumbers on JavaScript. <laughs> but I had to do the research, right? And there are, and that's true about, I think, snails uh, and trauma as well. That maybe if it's eliciting so many strong emotions, then there's something about it that we don't yet know. And that is a baseline conversation to start with. Maybe there's something we just don't know yet. And if we can reframe and rediscuss and redefine, and that starts with first building the person. <laughs> and building their inner world and we talk about in the world of, of psychology and everyone at the core has a self which is compassionate and kind and confident and connected and calm all C's except for the kind right? all these wonderful things and centered um, we've got to access that and once we access that then we can start building on what actually it seems even though you've heard something else at this point
4: I'm just going to add one word um, somebody who is traumatized, that was the language I believe, so there are. this is a natural reaction whenever somebody goes off the deraf or somebody isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, so we're, the attitude too often is, is there's something wrong with them. And it's exactly the opposite. It, it, the way that question was described, we like to think, oh, so they have a problem because the, we, have, we have to fix their problem in Hashkafa or in Alaha. They were traumatized. And we have to realize that they were victimized and that they have a problem, and it's a real problem, and it's we have to try to fix it because um, they're 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 not react they're not reacting unnaturally they're not irrational you know when somebody is irrational so there's not a lot you can do but too often their reaction is a perfectly rational reaction given the distortions that are going on.
1: I'm going to add to uh, Rabbi Kolinsky by uh, pointing to one of the essays in the. First half of the book, uh, I think we weren't able to give adequate, uh, attention to the, to the, uh, wonderful job that, uh, Brachal Palikov did to this volume. She's not here. I think she lives in Baltimore. I'm probably, uh, going to be listening to this and did an absolutely amazing job of assembling 26 essays from literally all over the Orthodox landscape, and from some amazing people. One of the essays that I I was most impressed with was by Feige Zeltzer, uh, who uh, considered all of the reasons why women, some women, are having such a hard time with Sias, and have had for a while. And then she bursts out halfway through it and said, this is great! They're not the ones who are not normal. What, what their rejection means is that they have a sense of what Tznius is supposed to be about, and they find these rules and the trivializing of Tznius so foreign to that that they're reacting against it. They're the good guys, not the bad guys. Okay, next question is actually addressed to me. You stated that certain standards just don't seem right to school-age girls. Isn't that a slippery slope? Using feelings of children and adolescents as a measuring stitch for the legitimacy of a standard. Well, firstly, I wasn't referring to girls or adolescents. I was talking about adults. It's adults looking back at these things are having a hard time often. I know why. I'm one of those adults saying, is this really Yiddishite? I remember a time a couple of years ago that my good friend Alan Feldman and uh, Beth Jacob of uh, Atlanta uh, were talking about I don't know what the issue was. And he says, the two of us are going to found a new religion. We're going to call it Judaism. That's really... That's really what I was talking about. Is it a slippery slope, though? Of course it's a slippery slope. Life is complex. It can't be standardized and systematized as much as people want. To me, one of the biggest challenges as a mind is realizing how many people will embrace religion because they don't like having choices. They would rather give up their freedom and have other people make decisions for them. When you can't buy into that, and you have enough of, I don't know what it is, an inner sense that Baruch Hu gave me a brain. I remember a few years ago, my son and I visited with Nassim Kamenevsky's at Ronald Rachel. We didn't know he was sick at that time. It was in one of his last months of his life. He didn't share his illness. With many people. And my son and I discussed in Indian, actually related to this, about how families are supposed to navigate the fact that they are meant, they are told to sign a list of things that we don't do as a family. My wife doesn't drive. My wife doesn't wear makeup. When in the same school, the Moros drive and wear makeup. But for various reasons, that was something you had to sign. So we asked Ravnathson about how you deal with an older daughter who recognizes that to get her into a school, you have to lie. You have to lie through your teeth. Where does that leave us in China? So we had a very interesting discussion. And the bottom line, my son asked him, okay, I can understand all these things. But what's Das Torah? What does Das Torah say about it? And Bav said, Das Torah? Das Torah is that a Akkadosh Baruch Hu gave you a brain. Use it. <laughs> that, that's not always an easy route to take. Yes, it's a slippery slope. You use your brain, you sometimes come up with wrong conclusions. But the only way to escape that is to give up significant parts of your tzalem alokim.
4: Uh, I just wanted to things to that, Rabbi Adelson, reminding me of a conversation that my colleague and I had with uh, one of the big rosh Shivas about a very, very controversial topic and it was very messy. And uh, we were complaining to him about what the, was going on out there and um, what the rabbinic world was uh, saying and this. And um, so we went back and forth and back and forth and then we looked at him and we said, okay, so what conclusion are we supposed to dr- draw? What, you know, All the gedolim are saying different things. And he said with this language, use the gedol between your ears. <laughs>
2: okay?
4: I just want to add one other thing that, that I, I, it relates to this also. Revolvi talks about Frumkeit. And a lot of these chumras are frukkite. And Revolvi says that's a terrible thing. Because every creature, every created being, has an instinct to get close to HaKodesh Borch. And a lot of what we're talking about is, 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 at least subconsciously, when we want to be very frum, it's coming from the instinct of getting close to HaKodesh Borch. And Revolvi says when you follow an instinct without an intellect, you end up in a bad place. And he uses the example in the Gemara of a chasid shote. A chasid shote. A chasid is a pious person. And a shote is a fool. And the example that the Gemara gives is perfectly appropriate for this discussion. Man is walking by a river. A woman is drowning. And his reaction is it's not appropriate to look at women. The Gemara calls that person a chassid shote. It says, why is he a chasid shote? Well, he's a chasid because he, he, he wants to be on a very high spiritual level. But he's stupid because he's following an instinct to get close to our Baruch Hu without activating any intelligence of making a value judgment. And I think that's really one of the problems that's going on today is we have a lot of Hasidim Shotim that are following instinct to be from, but they're
1: not doing it with intelligence. we have a pile of some really good questions I think this is going to be the last though, I think so I'll read it I'll read it it's a cry of the heart for some advice for a problem I'm sure is not the province of one person in the in the audience alone a lot has been said about choosing your community well I am a balas chuva. That made Aliyah, and I don't feel comfortable with a lot of of the community I live in. But I don't want to close doors to my daughters, who are not Balos Tshuva and could reach higher places than me. I'm not so happy with that phrase. You know, what makes them higher? How do I deal with this?
4: one of the uh, things we've been teaching for 40 years Shepel Zimedash uh, HaKel is that you are Baalei Balos Chuva who are going to be raising FFB children and you have no role model for how to do that see FFB's grew up in FFB homes and we know what can be good and what can be damaging the kid doesn't want to get up for davening so we know what to do. You know why? Because either our parents did it right or they did it wrong. Okay, so we know we have a, we have experience. But uh, Baal tshuva, what are you doing? Well, I didn't experience not getting up for Daviding. All right, so that's the problem. And and I, I don't I don't I'm not going to agree with Rabbi Anderson. I think when the person writes that they have um, shifot, they have aspirations. For their children, because they want to raise FFB children, and they realize that on the one hand, Bali chuba brings some tremendous things to the table, uh, but on the other hand, there's a difference between growing up in a religious home, and therefore they realize that you know if I uh, if I if I raise my child in an F, in a Balchuba community, it's going to be a compromise if I don't have to. Um, we always another thing we always said is if it, it, we, it, it, it's it's an, a generalization because we've had a few we have right now one of a great tal, Talmudim whose father was a talmud in the yeshiva and he's great um, and the son is not a, not a Baal tshuva, but he's in the yeshiva because we have a lot of non bal in the yeshiva today but 20 years ago we said oh I want my kid to be able to learn at chapels I want my daughter to learn in medrashal No that's us we failed. Okay, because you could, you, could, you know, you you're, when you grow up in a certain environment, then you've got to you've got to deal with other issues, and so I, I think that that's a that's a real challenge, and I think that a, that a, a parent, parents who are recognizing that are saying that okay, I'm going to live in this community, and I'm going to try to maintain my integrity. But I'm not going to make my children feel that what the community is demanding is inappropriate, assuming that it's, that it's appropriate. Again, I'm not talking here about, uh, it depends where the community is, is. Are they really doing crazy things? Or no, it's a, you know, this is an FFB community with normal standards and it's normal. So then I think that, that the, the, the challenge is there, but I think that their, their direction is correct. That they, it's a challenge, and I acknowledge the challenge. And I think they should be given help and, and, and chizuk. To, uh, you know, to be able to navigate it. They need advice how to navigate it.
1: Thank you, and I, I, I stand corrected. Um, and I'd like to underscore the last words that you say. They need chizuk and help. I think that one of the most important things that we can do for vale Tshuva and Balas Tshuva, sometimes that means doing it for yourself, is to promote the idea that you're not a no-one. There are too many Balei who think that because now I found the truth. So every decision that they make is suspect. They can't trust their instincts. Their past does not contribute to their personality because I have to go to somebody who knows how to do it the right way. They do need guidance, but they need the reassurance that they are whole people. that Who directed them in the path that they did for a reason, And some of those factors that they brought with them from their previous existence are very positive and certainly should not be cast away as if they had no value. Okay, thank you. Thank you to this wonderful Thank you to Donna. Work and thank you most of all to Rabbi Manning for creating this for to, to proper close thank
3: you very much I'm only going to speak for about 45 seconds but I want to thank Rabbi Adlerstein for so masterfully chairing the panel and all the panelists thank you very very much the fact that we have a 20 questions that we can't get through now means we need to have another event um, I also want to um, reiterate what Robert Adelstein said, that my editor of the book and co-author of the book, Brocha Polyakov, is having these same conversations and events in America as we speak. Um, please go out I'll be in America in June as well to do a number of launches. But that gives us a challenge, which I'd like to end with as an appeal. The real appeal is for a continuing conversation. We want this to be something that helps people deal and, uh, and uh, connect with the Smiths in a, in, in a way that they feel more meaningful and relevant to them. Um, and, and the book is the medium to do that. The official release date for the book in America is May the 8th. Wednesday the 8th? Tomorrow.
2: Um,
3: and therefore, it with, with some shock that we received a call from the warehouse that serves Amazon that there are no books left because they've all been pre-ordered. There are books in the shops in America, but we're hoping that they're not going to last very long. So we're facing the reality that we're actually being urged by the publishers to reprint the book as quickly as possible and get more overseas. Now, I'm very happy on a private level to go through the um, financial model for how to produce uh, books uh, uh, in the orthodox world, and I can assure you it's not a for-profit model. It's a non-profit model. And therefore, we would love to be able to print another 2,000 books as soon as possible and get them to the right places. But for that, we're going to need sponsorship. uh, And therefore, if anybody is aware... Uh, of people who would like to contribute in some ways we need many thousands of dollars in order to get those books printed Uh, but we have the wherewithal to do that but as I share we just need the funding to do that so I'm very happy to have those conversations with people um, and uh, for them to put me in touch with the right people in the right places to make that happen. Please God this will be the beginning of a conversation. Thank you again and thank you to everybody for coming and we hope to see you soon.